but uh, being fulfilled, uh, or not us being fulfilled, but remember the scriptures being fulfilled. We talked about that word pleureo, or play rao, that means in the Greek to, uh, to come to an end, to come to a completion. And remember, we've talked about it over and over the last three Wednesdays that it's uh, found in the New Testament 90 times, 51 of those times talk about something that's being fulfilled, but 40 of those times carry the words, the scriptures are fulfilled, or because of the fulfillment of scripture, or that the scriptures may be fulfilled, Jesus said unto them this, this, this. So that's what we've been talking about. Tonight, I want to preach on uh, uh, something that uh, years ago, a long time ago, uh, this idea and this thought came to my mind after reading Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. But really, God uh, continues to help me grow over and over and over. And uh, in chapter 9, you remember we talked about being in the hands of the potter. Chapter 10, last Wednesday, we talked about being in the hands of the Savior. um, That God turned to the Gentile and that salvation is to everyone. Some of the greatest verses you'll be able to share with people uh, leading them to Jesus Christ is found in Romans chapter number 10, verses 1 through 17. Amen. Um, But tonight we're going to be talking about being in the hands of the gardener. And uh, a great gardener is, uh, is uh, someone that has that green thumb, you know, somebody that can take something that's just dead and lifeless and give it wonderful life. I think the gardeners are the ones that sing to their plants, and I'm not really for that. Uh, I don't really sing to the plants and stuff, but some of the people, they say that they, uh, that they like that. I don't know if they asked them and got a questionnaire uh, filled out by them, but they say that it helps them. Makes them excited, uh, you know. I, I don't know. I, I'm not really set on that, but we're going to move on. Uh, but tonight we're going to be in Romans. We're actually going to begin in Romans chapter 10 first. And uh, if you got your Bible, I want you to turn there. Look at verse number 18. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10. And we're going to be in verse number 18. The Bible says, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say unto you, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith this, look, says, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. You know, looking at the scripture tonight, being in the hands of that gardener, um, as we talked about being in the hands of the potter, he was trying to mold Israel. He chose them and and was trying to mold them, but they kept resisting him and resisting him and resisting him. Well, finally, what did he do? He set them aside. Remember the cursed fig tree we talked about for two Wednesdays before that. Um, Talked about how when he cursed the fig tree and how the fulfillment now is coming to, uh, to pass. But then when he cursed it, he set them aside. He told them that they wouldn't have any more fruit. He told them that their blessings would be removed as a nation, and we know that they've looked for a homeland ever since. They've looked for a place that they could call home, where they could lay their head, where they could be at peace, and still have not fully found that. Even though we've got the movement called the Zionist movement that's calling back all of the people of Israel back to uh, Jerusalem and back to Israel, they still don't have that homeland of their own. Uh, Remember we talked about in 1948, they became a state again and started blooming. And then in 2018, 70 years later, uh, you know, uh, our president moved the U.S. Embassy uh, from Tel Aviv over to Jerusalem, the capital city now. And now it sparked this huge uh, conversation of them rebuilding the third temple. They're excited and they're fired up about rebuilding that temple. And we should know that when we see that stuff happening, 
that the time is approaching that the Lord is going to return. And, <clears throat> and we shouldn't only just use that. You know, he said when you see the fig tree, you know, yet tender and the branches are tender, you know that summer's coming. But the Lord also chose to use the words and say that whenever uh, there's only one sign that I will give you of the coming of man, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You know, what did he say? He said they would be eating and drinking and giving into marriage and doing all these things. What Jesus was talking about was that they will continually go about their lifestyle in sin and it will not bother them because their morals, their convictions, and their ethics will be, that you won't find them and that people will just continue to do and live in a godless way, in a godless society. And, and that's the sign that shows us that the Lord is coming soon. You know what, church? We're in those days where the moral compass and the spiritual guide of the spiritual convictions from the Word of God, not only am I talking about not found in the world, because we know that people are lost, don't have a moral compass in that sense, but or a spiritual compass, but I'm talking about even within the church. Even within the church, That I read an article today about a young guy, that young man, he's a Christian guy that goes off and speaks and does other things, and now he's, he's got to take a step back because of sin in his life. And the whole article was about sexual things and sexual sins that he had committed and stuff. And, and I got to reading and got to looking at it and uh, always know that there's a common denominator. It, it's sin. The Bible says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. You know, when I want to do right, I don't do right. But I got to looking at it and everybody was totally against this sexual sin and these things he was in, but they were not against him going out rollerblading and filling up his water bottle full of raspberry vodka and whiskey and stuff. And I'm like, there's a problem because he can't make rational decisions uh, toward women and other things because the sin of that, amen? We get rid of the root of the problem. You may, you may be able to think in the proper way, amen? That's why the Word of God tells us to live soberly and to have our minds where we can think and understand, especially in the life of a Christian. But in churches today, you, you, you get all kinds of people, and you get people that get mad at you when you talk about those things, and you're trying to help them out and stuff. And, uh, you know, the Bible says when we see the days of Noah coming like it was in the days of Noah, then the Lord is going to return because of the sinfulness and the evilness of men. You know, the Bible says then, chapter number 10 of Romans, it says that salvation, man, it was all last week was about salvation. It was about whoever would call upon the name of the Lord, what it say? Shall be saved, will be saved, amen. It tells us that if we call on the name of the Lord and we receive him, we're saved, what does it say? It says that we will not be ashamed of that. We will, we will profess it, we will go out and we will tell everybody. But then look at the words of what he said in verse number 18. He says, but I say unto you, he said, because 17 says what? He says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But look at what it says in 18. It says, but I say, have they not heard? He said, yes, they've heard. He said, their sound went out into all the earth, and their words into the end of the world. You say, really, Steve, when did everybody hear the gospel? When did everybody hear the word of God and know that Jesus is Lord? The Bible tells us clearly on the day of Pentecost. It says that there were people from all nations that were there during Pentecost. There were people that were Jew by blood there. There were people that were Hellenistic Jews that lived in other places that were born in other nations but yet came back for what? For the Passover and then for the Pentecost feast and the festival. And the Bible says that they all heard what had happened. You know, isn't it amazing that when you look at Israel, that Israel is no larger than New Jersey, but yet it has had a huge impact on the world? Do you know that every time we see something that is huge politically, we see something spiritually, we see something great, it always comes out of that small 
piece of property over there, and it ripples all the way across the world. We've seen, I've seen it my whole life. For, you know, ever since I've been able to watch news and watch TV, you've always heard about Israel being in the headlines, but not as much as you have in the last days that we've been living in. And we need to prepare, and we need to make sure that we're watching that. The Bible says that all of them have heard, and the words of God has gone to the end of the world. Look at 19. He says, but I say, did Israel not know? Were they confused? Did they not know? He said, first Moses says this, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. And he said, and Isaiah is even very bold when he says this, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest or made revealed, manifested unto them that ask not for me. The Bible says, did Israel not know that the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles? Did they not know that the gospel is going to go until all the world? Did they not understand these things? Because Moses told them about it. Isaiah told them about it. Everyone, listen, all the prophets would speak about that. What did Isaiah say about the gospel of Jesus Christ? It said it would be a lot, the coming, the birth of Jesus in the gospel. It would be a lot to lighten the Gentiles. Amen. He was talking about that it would reach his people, but it would reach the whole world. You know what God wanted to do with Israel? God wanted to do with Israel the same thing that he wants to do with every single individual in here tonight. He wants to use you as the tool to hold the greatest treasure that could ever be held in your own personal life in an earthen vessel to be able to go out and to share the gold of the gospel with other people. He wants to use you to get his word out. Now we know God could do whatever he wanted to. God could stick his face out of the sky tonight and say, trust in me and believe now. But that's not the way he's chosen to do it. You say, well, Brother Steve, why? I don't know why. I don't know why God would choose somebody like me or somebody like you to share the great news of the gospel, but he's chosen to put it in you. And he desires, that's how much God loves you. He wants to use you to be able to tell others about who he is. And that's what he always wanted to do with Israel. He loved Israel so much, Brother Ricky, that he said, Listen, I want you to bring my word. They kept his word. They wrote it down. The scribes pinned it down over and over and over and made copies after copies. He said, I want you to bring my son through that seed, through the lineage. They did those things. Even Satan tried to mess the lineage up, but he couldn't mess it up. Why? Because grace is greater than sin. Amen? All these things God wanted to do, but they did all of them. They brought his word. They also brought his son. But then when his son came forth and declared that he is the son of God and he's the Messiah, what did they do? They rejected him. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. They rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel was rejected. Look at what it says in verse 21. He says, but Isaiah, or uh, verse 21, he says, but to Israel he says, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. People that speak things that promote themselves and get gain out of it. He said, all day long. He said, throughout all of Scripture, look at the Scriptures, church. Since Abraham and the calling of Abraham, the choosing of Abraham to do what? To bring the Word, to bring the Son, and to bring the Messiah and the Gospel to all of the world. What did he tell Abraham? He said, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. But what did he say? He said, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of you. Because you're going to give people my Word. You're going to give people my Son. You're going to give people the Gospel that's going to save everyone that would come. All nations, tribes, tongues, everything that we talked about this past Sunday. But what did they do? 
They rejected it. He said, all day long, I have what? I've stretched out my hands to you. He said, I've stretched out my hands to what? He said, to a disobedient and a gainsaying people. John chapter number 12, verse 37 to 38 says it like this. But though he had done so many miracles, talking about Jesus, he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Why? That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, may be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, Jesus, let let me say it like this, because I don't want you to misquote me or anything like that. But there are times when... Jesus couldn't work and couldn't do the things of God. You say, wait a minute, now he's the son of God. He could have done whatever he wanted to. The Bible says when he went into Capernaum, it says he could not do many miracles or works there because of their unbelief. And that's exactly what this scripture said before in verse number 37. He said, but though he had done so many miracles before them, they didn't believe on him. And it says, wonder why these people didn't believe on him. And they said, well, it's the fulfillment of of the scripture that Isaiah talked about. Isaiah said that who has believed our report and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. You know, I use this all the time, but the Bible teaches us that how wonderful and mighty are the works of God, that he created rivers and valleys in the palm of his hands, that he flung stars off of the end of his fingertips, talking about the mightiness of God. But when it describes his son, Brother Craig, it says that he is the arm of the Lord. That's why the Bible says that his arm is not shortened that he cannot reach. Amen. That's why it says that he can do that. Why? Because with his arm he reached down to us and he saves us. How did he do that? Through his son Jesus Christ. But Israel rejected him. They rejected the gospel over and over and over. Chapter number 10. How could you How could you look at that and see all of these things and see the simplicity of being saved? What is being saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you shall confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man or mankind believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, what happens in the heart actually comes out of the mouth. Like, like Brother Roy used to talk about what's in the well, the bucket brings up all the time. And you look at that and you go, how simple is the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. It's not a step program. It's not a 12-week program. It is a, you realize that you are lost and in need of a Savior, and you call out for salvation, and he goes, yes, I will save you. Simple. But the Bible says that Israel rejected that. And you look at it, and you go, Israel, you knew all of the Scriptures. You knew all of the covenants. You had all of the wonderful promises and blessings and you turn them away. You say, well, what do you mean, Brother Steve? It's just like we see today. You, you look at somebody and you go, you've had a silver spoon in your mouth since the day you were born. And you've had everything at your fingertips. If you wanted a vehicle, your parents got you a vehicle. If you wanted a house, your grandparents gave you a house. You had all these things. And yet you're still going to choose to live in the gutter because of the drugs that you're using? You know what I'm saying? That's exactly where Israel was. He was like, man, why are you not trusting? Why are you not believing? Because they rejected the gospel. And if you reject the gospel, then you're rejecting the Son. Amen? And if you reject the Son, then you're rejecting also the Father. The second thing is this. After they rejected the gospel, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 11 that the chosen of God, they were scattered. The chosen were scattered. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 11. Y'all still with me? Y'all, y'all, we're going fast, ain't we? Amen. Look, it says, I say then, 
Hath God cast away his people? Look at what Paul says, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Hang on right there for a minute. Paul says, did God, because they rejected his gospel message, has God cast them away? We're going to talk about cast away in just a minute, what that word means. Paul says, God forbid. Why does Paul say God forbid? If we could put this in Steve Abney terminology and just country words right here, look at the last part. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's saying, he said, God hadn't gotten rid of all of us because I got saved. He says, because I'm here, because I trusted in the Lord, and I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, and I am an Israelite, amen? Paul, one time he stood before Agrippa. He stood before Felix, and what did he tell them? He said, I lived a Pharisee to the fullest of the sect. He said, I did everything with every I dotted and every T crossed. He said, I did all of these things. He said, he even lived in sin before, and he said, but I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. You know what, church? Paul was saying, I am an Israelite, and God's not finished with Israel, and God can save an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. And you know what? I believe with all my heart that God could save a man or a woman that was from the tribe of Dan also, even though they were in sin. I believe he could save them also during these days that we live. You know what? God's not finished with them. As I told you before, I tried my best to witness to one, just sharing the gospel over and over. And it was just this, not going to hear you, just turn on a deaf ear and just wasn't going to listen to anything that you said. But that doesn't mean that God can't save them. If they were to say, God, I trust in your son Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he was the promised one, and that his death on the cross and his blood was for the remission of my sins, I believe you. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. You want to guess what percentage of those were probably Jewish people because they were in the place where they were celebrating a Jewish feast. They all repented that day. Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, that a lot of people gets confused where it talks about that when you repent and that you must receive Jesus for the remission of your sins, talking about being baptized in his name for the remission of your sins, that totally blew the Jewish mindset just way out of whack. Because they, when they baptized themselves, they were always baptized in the name of a lamb or in the name of the blood of a bullock or something else that they did at the temple. But Paul said, I mean, Peter said that day, no, you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because it's his blood that remits your sins. Amen. Praise God. Give somebody a high five and tell them good Wednesday. Amen. Slap Craig on the back, give him one. Listen, if you would just do that for me, Craig, one time just go, that's good, that would be fine. He says in verse number 2, he says, God did not cast away his people which he foreknew. <laughs> he says, what you not, the scripture saith of Elias, Elijah. He says, how he made intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. You remember Elijah? He says, but what saith the answer of God unto him? Isn't it great? That men may have said things and women may have said things in this Bible and asked God certain questions, but when it comes to the answer that we need, we need to know what God says about it. He says, but what answers uh, of God came to him? It says, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. <laughs> Listen, he was like, oh, Lord, I'm all by myself in this thing. And there ain't nobody that wants to serve you that dig down your altars. And Lord, church just ain't like it used to be. And they don't sing this song. And they don't preach this way. And they don't do all these things. And it's just a big old wine bag prayer. Yeah. Just whining and whining and whining. And God says, let me share something with you. I'm not limited to a cert certain song or a certain, certain style of a preacher or what people do. He said, no, 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 no. 
Uh, he said to Elijah, he said, I got 7,000 people that haven't bowed a knee to Baal or to the, even to the image of Baal. You know what? Instead of us sitting around whining underneath our juniper tree, or you know, I'll put it like this because I've already made you mad. I'll just put it this way. Instead of sitting on a pew whining about what it all used to be like, why not go, hey, you know what? There's a church that's growing up. There's a church that's standing on the stage and they're singing the songs of God. Maybe it would do good sometimes to come up on the stage and see all of this bunch right over here that actually are singing these songs and they're praising God. Actually, some of those ones that before church starts, this is their generation. They're doing this the whole time. They're looking at a phone. Now, before you say amen to that, listen, I got pictures of some of y'all that are in here that are older that, that I've got pictures. Now, I take pictures. I have evidence. And uh, you do the exact same thing. While you're playing solitaire, they may be playing something else, okay, uh, because they don't even know what solitaire is. They have no clue. Listen, when the songs start going and they start singing, they start praising the Lord just like you and I. Let me remind you something. That as far as right now, this world is not wrapped up just yet. There are still people being saved. There are still people that are worshiping God. And right now, there are still people in the house of God. They're young people. They're old people. And they are praying, God, please tarry. Please tarry your coming, Lord. They're also the people that's going out and voting against how life is precious. They're voting against how people are coming against uh, uh, the, the sanctity and the value of life. They're voting about the wonderful sanctity of marriage. As long as it is right now, there are a lot of people that have not bowed the knee to the golden image that's being set out before us. We ought to just go, you know what? We need to look for those people, find those people, pray for those people. Amen? Listen, Israel, the chosen people of God, because they rejected, you know what God did? God scattered them. You say, I wonder why he would do something like that. You remember the Tower of Babel? The Bible says that men, they were coming together and trying to build their own access to God. Actually, it's not in that sense. In that ziggurat, not cigarette, but ziggurat, they, you know, maybe y'all know more about the other, but <clears throat> the ziggurat, when it went up, they were actually saying, okay, God, we know that you really can't come all the way down, so we're going to build a staircase to you, kind of a stairway to heaven. And we're going to build... We're going to build that up so that you'll be able to come down and to be with us. And what did God do that day? God separated all the languages and all the people. He scattered them out. You know why? Because that's not the access that they have to God. God says, no, I'm going to provide myself a lamb. He told Abraham that when he took his son up on that mountaintop, I will provide a lamb. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that as Abraham and Isaac were walking up there, what did Isaac say? He said, Daddy... <laughs> Which would what I would be saying? You know, what, what's what's wrong with you? What, I see the wood, you know, and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? You know what I mean? And he said, "The Lord what will provide Himself a lamb," and He did provide Himself a lamb. The word here that Paul's been using twice already in verse one and verse number two about cast away, it doesn't mean that God took the children of Israel, wadded them up, and threw them in the trash, or that he destroyed them. The word is apatheo, and it means this. It means to thrust away or to push away from. Listen, write that word down, apatheo. It's A-P-O-T-H-E-O. It would do you really good come Thanksgiving dinner to thrust yourself away from the table. Use that word. Just, when you're done in the last sweet potato, you know you eat that stuff that's got like 40 pounds of sugar on top with pecans mixed in in order just to throw something healthy in there. You know what I'm talking about? You go through like five layers of that in order to get to that actual sweet potato that's supposed to be good for you. Ain't that, ain't that good stuff? What you need to do is apatheo. Just push yourself away from the table. You said, Brother Steve, what do you think Paul was meaning? What, God, what was God saying about that word that they were cast away? Anybody ever get in, tr get in trouble? Anybody ever get in trouble before as a kid? 
How about, how about an as an adult? Anybody has an adult? Yeah. And some of you just need to keep your hands up through the rest of the service. But get in trouble. Remember when your dad or your mother, whoever was the big disciplinarian, you know, you ever remember them looking at you and you were telling them what you did or they caught you and what you did and they look at you and they say this word, just go on to your room. If you had a really, really nice, maybe they looked at you and said, you just get out of my face. You know what I'm talking about? You're going to have to get out of my face. <laughs> Some of you are like, it's like flashbacks right now. But just, I can't deal with you right now. Go to your room until I can figure out what to do with you. You know what I'm talking about? What did you do? You thrust them out of your presence. You, until you were going to do what? Until you were going to give judgment. Until you were going to pass that judgment. Just go away. Let me breathe. That's what God did to Israel. God didn't destroy them. If God wanted to wipe out all of the Israelites, look, church, there's been numerous times that he could have done that. Even in the wars where six million of them were killed, God could have taken all of the seed of Israel and said, you're done, and destroyed them. But they're, they're like bad habits. They just keep coming back and coming back, and they figure out what tribes they're from, and they're growing out of that, and then they're coming together. And at the end of Revelation, there's going to be 12,000 sealed from every single tribe. Amen? Listen, they keep coming. Why? <clears throat> because Paul says they're cast away. They've been thrusted out of the blessings in the presence of God until what? Until he gives judgment to them. Look at what the finishing part says right here. It says in verse number 5, Even so then at this present time, they, time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. It's according to the will of God. Now look at this. He says, and if it's by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And Paul says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit, look at this, of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. And look at this, look at these last words. And a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back always. You look at that, you go, all right, wait a minute. So when God thrust them out of the presence, what God did, now listen, this is a national thing. This is a chosen people thing. It wasn't that none of Israel could be saved. We've already talked about that in verse number 1 of chapter 11. Paul said it's not that an Israelite can't be saved because Paul says, I am a tribe of Benjamin. I can be saved. He's saying that all people now, in order to be saved, it is not secluded to the Israelite chosen people to give them that message. He said, no, I've taken that from them. They actually don't even fully understand it all because their eyes are darkened. They are, they are in the spirit of slumber. They're doing these things. And, and he says, listen, you look at this and you go, why would God do that? They did that. You say, how do you know that they did that? Because the Bible says, verse number nine, look at it with me one more time. It says, David said, let their table be made a snare. He said, listen, and I, I know that you probably use this a little bit better in the south, that they've made their bed. He said, they've made their table a snare. They've made their table a trap. They've made their table a stumbling block. And look at what the word says. And this is a recompense unto them. In other words... This is what they are reaping. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. 
And the children of Israel, the nation chosen people of Israel, are reaping that now. You know, church, they don't see what we can see in Christ. Their eyes are darkened. They stumble at the stumbling stone. Why? They stumble at Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Why? Why? Because they rejected him. And if you reject him, you will not receive wisdom about him. You know how many times that I've been asked as a pastor, uh, not very many times as a preacher years ago, but as a pastor, people have approached me and said, Brother Steve, before I come to Christ, I just want to know answers to this, this, this. Why would God allow abortion? Why does God allow HIV? Why does God allow these things? Why does God do this? And why did God do this specifically thing in, in my life and all this? And they're wanting all of these answers. And I tell them all the time, so listen, if you're going to receive the answers, you're going to have to trust the one that you're asking those questions to. You're going to have to believe that he has the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding and that he is God. So first thing that you need to do is you need to surrender your life to him and then come to him with those questions and asking him those hard things. Will we always receive the answer? Let, let me say it to you like this. I, I do know the answer why abortion goes on. I do. Here it is. It's sin. You say, Brother Steve, that's just too simple in my book. No, it's not too simple. It's simple in God's book. He said it. It is sin. People do evil things because of sin, period. It's a selfish and a self-seeking pleasure. It's a gainsaying people, and Israel is that way. And what's happening right now with Israel is that God has chosen to say, you're in time out, you're sitting over there, but I'm going to use this Gentile nation. Think about it. That probably stirred a lot of them up, especially in the beginning. Why? Here comes Jesus on the scene. When Jesus comes on the scene in his ministry, he's about 29, 30 years old. When he steps on the scene in his ministry, what are all these people looking for him to do if he's going to declare himself the Messiah? To come in here and to get us out of the bondage of the Romans. Set us free. Get your kingdom and your order. Establish. Let's get all this stuff going. Let's get the armies together and let's overtake these people. Let's get this stuff done. And Jesus looked at them and says, it's been told unto you. You've heard it said that you should hate your enemies. And Jesus says, but I tell you to love your enemies. Jesus is trying to get those people to understand what? Grace. The Bible says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He's trying to get them to understand grace. And what does he do? He tells them, blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed. And he's teaching all of these things. And these people that are religious, just so messed up in religion, and they're so wrapped up in a king coming in and taking over, and a conqueror taking over, they can't see it all. And they stumbled at the chief cornerstone that was laid brother david they didn't see jesus for who he was because why they were rejecting what he was preaching and if you don't believe what the man is preaching then why are you seeking him to find a remedy for your problem no no no. you got to believe he is who he is the bible even says that in the book of hebrews it says that the lord is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him amen and it says that you must believe that he is who he is and here they are all of a sudden, these Jewish people hated the Romans. They hated being under the authority of the Romans. They wanted to do all of their worship in the temple free from the Romans always watching over them. 
And then when Christ dies, they reject Christ and he dies and is resurrected and the gospel message comes to the world. The day of Pentecost happens. People are filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, not only are Jews being saved, but the house of Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter number 10. The Samaritans, oh my goodness, the Samaritans saved in Acts chapter number 8. How dare God save a Samaritan? That's what they were thinking. They've messed it all up. And God's like, no, you have. You know? But how dare God save the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 and the Gentiles and Cornelius and a whole house full of people in Acts chapter number 10. And all of a sudden, the Israelites began to be in disgust of all of this gospel message that they hired out people like Paul to go and kill these people. And do you know what? They could not stand the fact that what happened, Stephen preached to them. He said, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says they stoned him and went upon him, gnashing their teeth at him. The Bible says that he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He said the exact same Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't charge them for this sin. And you know what happened? Israel could not believe that the blessings and the covenants and the hopes and the promises, everything that they've had and they had access to, now a Gentile, Romans, and all other nations are preaching this wonderful gospel and the covenant. That's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about they can't be saved, but what happened was is God said, fine, and he scattered them. Church, they don't have a home. The Israelites don't have a home. They have wandered Ever since the day that their temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, they have wandered. They have walked as pilgrims, strangers. They have always wandered. You know what? Think about it for a moment. We may not get finished with that part tonight. But you think about it for a moment. The Bible says that they were in Egypt, and they were, which is a representation of them being in sin. You know, when, God, when Abraham came through the land, God never told Abraham to go down into Egypt. Abraham chose to do that because he was hungry and looking for something. And instead of him depending on God to supply the needs as he was there in Israel and in Jerusalem, actually he went down into Egypt, which is a teaching of that he went into sin. And now the children of Israel have been there 400 years in bondage and they're coming out. Remember the great uh, leader, uh, the great uh, uh, wonderful leader Moses that brought them out? They walked through the Red Sea. They didn't have to get their feet muddy. The Bible says it opened up in the dry ground and they walked across, showing that they were coming out of an old lifestyle into a new. And doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that make you happy to know that that's exactly what God did for you? He brought you out of your old sinful lifestyle and brought you into something new. Amen. You, you, is the game on or something? Everybody's looking down. <clears throat> it's good. Then all of a sudden, what did they do? They wandered. They wandered in the wilderness in an 11-mile radius, okay, for how long? For 40 years. Why did they do that? Because God did it to them. No, 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 no. No, they did it. Their sin caused that. Because of their sin, what did God say? He said, that's fine. He said, that's okay. Now, that, when he, that's fine. That's my translation. He said, that's fine. He said, everybody, that is Joshua's age and Caleb's age and younger, they'll go in. Now, listen to this. About 40 years old, that's my age. Who in here is over 40? Raise your hand. You don't want to be in this illustration. Huh? He said, you can't go. Why? Because you don't believe. You're unbelief. You're sin. Unbelief is sin. Unbelief is exactly disobedience. It's because of unbelief. So they wandered around. 
Then, church, the Bible says for years what happened to Israel. They were on this huge roller coaster. They would go up and they'd come down. They'd go up and they'd come down. They would believe and, listen, a uh, judge would judge them and they would do good. And then a bad judge would come in and a good judge would come in, a bad judge, and would lead them in the wrong way. Then, then Israel thought, well, you know what? We've got to be like the rest of the nations of the world and we need a king. God said, you don't want a king. They said, no, we need to be like all of the other nations. We need a king. And God said, let me tell you what the king's going to do to you. Remember I told you the other day that God is so good to us that he will tell you the end of what sin will take you or where sin will take you so that he will try to paint a picture for you so you not to do that, for you not to do that. The Bible says, he said, a king will come in and take everything you got. He'll take your maidservants and your manservants. He said, he will tax you. He will oppress you. He'll do all these things. The children of Israel said, what? Don't matter. That's what we want. So God said, fine, look for one. They found the biggest, strongest, best-looking man, a man of valor, Saul, led them down a wrong road. But then when the next time came in, what did God say? He said, it's fine, you chose yours, I want to choose mine now. He said, I'm going to choose one that you're not even going to think. I'm going to go and I'm going to declare one of them a king that's a little bitty ruddy uh, shepherd boy and you're not even going to look at him. Actually, you're going to go through all the brothers and you ain't going to find him till you get to the bottom of the barrel. Listen, sometimes like that song says, when, when others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king, Amen. The Bible says that what did they do? They got King David. But then after that, they would get other kings that would bring them up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. The children of Israel wondered all the time because of their sin. It's no different than, listen, you as a believer today. You ever find yourself in your Christian walk where you're just dry? You're, you're going to church. You know, you, you come and you open, you know, your Bible up here at the church and you sing a couple of songs with everybody and you shake hands and you smile. You put a real good Christian smile on before you come in, you know. No telling what happened in the vehicle, but you, you came in with one, you know. And you'll leave back out and you'll go back out there with that same old ugly face on and stuff and gritting your teeth and mad at the world. And you just find yourself in this Christian walk where you're just wondering. You're just getting by. Every day is just a wake-up day and a go-to-sleep day. A wake-up day and a go-to-sleep day. You're not sharing the gospel with people. You're not smiling and showing the love of Jesus to people. You're not praying. You're wondering. And you know what? It's because of sin. It's because of sin. See, we're not exempt from falling into sin. No one in here is exempt. No one in here is immune to sin. We're all, we're all in frail bodies. We're all in frail minds. Paul talked about a fight that he fought all of the time, wrestled with it all of the time. You're not immune and you're not exempt. Let me tell you something. If you find yourself wondering and if you find yourself going, you know what? My walk with the Lord is just really mundane. It's really just just boring. You know, the word mundane is where we get Monday from also. That's why Garfield didn't like it. If you don't know who Garfield is, you got to maybe the over 40 crowd does. Huh? He hated Mondays. He hated everything but lasagna. Much like some of us. You're bored with it. And this is the serious part. You, you get bored with it. You get bored with Christianity. You get bored with your walk. Look, it's because something, something's wrong. And as, as nice as I can, let me say it, it, something's wrong and there's sin somewhere. You find yourself not excited, not really enthused to open up the Scripture and read it, but yet you find yourself just doing it out of a, a trained, disciplined kind of attitude and you're not really getting hold of anything. You're wondering. God doesn't want you to wonder. The children of Israel wondered and wondered. And even today, because, Brother Ricky, of their disobedience, God scattered them out. And they're just wandering around. They still 
are not excited about things. They're still not about uh, uh, pumped up and fired up about this. I'm going to give you this last thing tonight, and then then we're going to go home. I'm going to give you this one other thing, is that after those chosen people were scattered, the Gentiles were saved. Because the rejection, this is what's really good, because of the rejection of the Israelites, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Now, don't misunderstand me when I say that. When Israel were the chosen people of God, every stranger and Gentile, pagan-worshipping person that repented of their sins and came to God Almighty, they were saved. There were people that were saved, Rahab the harlot, others that were saved that were not of the children of Israel in the chosen bloodline, but they were saved. But, think about it, they didn't understand all those things of God. They didn't understand the covenants that God gave Israel. Why? Because Brother Ricky gave them to Israel. Those covenants that were given to Isaiah and and Moses and, and Daniel and the prophecy, they didn't understand that. Why? Because... They, were, they didn't have the hope and the covenants and the promises and all of those things, but they still had an access to God. They could be saved if they would come to who? Come to God the Father, right? They would come through that and they would be saved. The same way now. God's not limited His salvation in the Old Testament just to people that were of the tribes of Israel. God's salvation since the writing of the first word in the Bible to the last amen that's recorded is to all people who will believe. All nations, Abraham, will be blessed because of you. All people will be blessed because of this word that I've given you. He was going to bless them all. But look at verse number 11, and we'll close. He says, I say then, that reminds me of Foghorn Leghorn, I say, boy, amen, I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, that God would throw them away? He said, God forbid. He said, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now listen to this. The Gentiles saved, yes. But this is the greatest part of the scripture. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. What that means is, church, is now the treasure of the covenants, the promises, the word to be spoken and to be a blessing to all people are now in the hands of Gentile people. It's in our hands. It's called the church today. That's where the church got its name. Talking about the church doesn't mean brick-mortar building. The church even doesn't even mean you and you and you and you and you as all the whole everybody's saying. No, what it's talking about is a collection of the called-out people. We are a people called out of sin and into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. The church body itself, ecclesia, means to be a people called out, a peculiar people, a people that no longer wander around, but a people that now have purpose. So what happens is, is what what did Paul say? He said, listen, we were once without hope in the world, without God, without the covenants, without all of these things in the world. We were without that. But now in these times, we have this promise according to Jesus. Christ our Lord. The Bible says that, that and don't be mocked that there will be no effeminate, there will be no railers, there will be no this person, no this person, or this person that will enter into the kingdom of God and that they will go into heaven and inherit the kingdom of God. But then he turns around to the next scripture and says there, and as such were some of you. What he's saying is, is now we have this. It's our wonderful privilege to take this word 
to our friends and our family. I like it when babies are born. You know, everybody likes babies being born. Most of the time, it's fourth floor of every hospital. The eighth floor and the upper floors, they put you up there when you're leaving this walk of life because I think they're getting you acclimated. And you get way up on the top. Birth floors, you love to go around there and look why moms and dads standing there. They're happy. There's pink bows and blue bows and pink bows. And, and sometimes two on the same door, and you just walk by or be with them. <laughs> you think about it. Love it. But ever since the day I met Junior Hill's wife, Carol, I do something with every baby now that I didn't ever think of before. Every one of them that I hold, I take them over there and I lean and whisper in their ears, I'm holding them, and I tell them John 3.16. You say, why do you do that, Brother Steve? For two reasons. Number one, I'm prideful. I want to be the first one to tell them about Jesus. Number two is that I want them to know that they can depend on a preacher, that they can depend on a person that was lost in sin, and that they can depend on us taking the gospel to them. You know, church has a very mixed up mind nowadays. We think that we're here in order to get people to come this way. That's not what God's telling us. No, no, no. We're here to learn more so that we can go out that way. Amen. And we are privileged to do what? Because of their rejection, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because of their rejection, what do we do? We hold the full word of God up now. Think about it for a minute, Brother Adam. The Hebrew nation, the most that they hold up are these front books right here. The Torah. The, 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 it's all about that. They like some of the prophets. They don't necessarily like what they say. They like the minor and the major prophets. They like the books of poetry and singing and all those things. But this is what they hang on to most. Okay. Now, in their, in their books, they're, they're back here. They read them from, from right to left. They're backwards. Well, or we may be backwards. But in the front, that's what they have. Church, look at what we get to share. A lot of people have asked me before, so why do you always preach out of the New Testament? And you always quote the Old Testament. Well, I quote the Old Testament because this is shadow. And do you ever remember, was it Ray Charles that used to do that Coca-Cola commercial? You got the real thing, baby? Anybody remember that in the old days? You got the real thing. Man, he'd have them glasses on. He'd say, you got the real thing, baby? You know, and would sing that song. You know why I like hanging around in the New Testament talking about salvation? Because that's the real thing, baby. That's the real deal right there. I love quoting the old because why? It shows us where he was coming to. But we get to be the privileged people of God to do what? To take this out there. I'm going to close. Because here comes the kids and they're coming to choir practice. But I read an article yesterday about an old man in the log cabin and how they were talking. I can't even remember who it was, what they were talking about. But one of the things that struck me in that, in that letter more than anything was that we knew that the day was wrapping up. This is old days. He said, we knew the day was wrapping up. We had just eaten dinner. And Dad was about to rest in his chair. And we knew at any moment, Dad was fixing to get the Holy Bible down and was going to read it by the fire. And man, that hit me. That struck me really hard. Before we got our TVs, before you got your radios, before you got all those things, that a daddy would take down the Holy Bible and read it by an old oil lamp. And would read the scriptures. And that the families would hang on to it.
Did you know here at our church we have a thing called the church covenant? In the fourth paragraph it says this. We engage to maintain secret and family devotions to religiously educate our children. It's not the pastor's job to tell your children everything about this Bible. No, no, no. It's your mom. It's you, dad. It's all of your job to do those things. So I'm glad that we get to be the ones privileged now to share the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We ask you to be with us tonight.